Kohokakan. So it's the 25th of June 2022. This time now is the time to train our minds so that they have stability and peace. A stability and peace of samadhi. So having the mind that's stable, that's well-founded, is something that is important. Because if our hearts lack this basis, then when they receive any sensory experience, then this flows right into the heart. And a mind which is <coughs> deluded will proliferate, will give rise to sankharas, these fabrications. And so ignorance gives rise to fabrications. And these proliferations of the kind that are about a sense of self, that give rise to a sense of self. And then there's feeling and craving and clinging, becoming, birth and suffering. And it's all because there isn't this foundation for the mind, it's not stable, and so wisdom doesn't arise. So when we're sitting like we are now, then we have virtue. Our body and speech is well collected. We also have efforts to train our minds as well. So why is this something that's difficult to do, this mental training? We try to give our mind some respite from their thoughts, but there's still this delusion there that proliferates and causes all these thoughts without stop. So we need to fight, we need to train, we need to put up and struggle with this. If we don't train, then our minds will always be this way. So this training of the mind, what we use is kamatana. Kama means work or action, tana is a basis. And that's what we use to train these minds. And so when our minds are thinking very quickly about the sense of self, then we need to train, we need to bring up this word buddha and recite that very quickly. And so that we can halt this thinking, so that we can bring the mind to peace. So we recite Buddha fast, so that it doesn't, the mind doesn't think about any other thought. There's no thoughts there interrupting the heart. <clears throat> so we do this a lot, we develop this a lot, until this meditation word becomes a habit of our minds, until our minds just think the word Buddha by themselves, without our intending for them to do that. So when we're at work, and we're doing something that doesn't require our thinking about it, then the mind just comes back to buddho. And if there's still thought there, then we can recite buddho, dhammo, sangho. If the thoughts still don't stop, then we can recite itipiso, the recollection of the Buddha. You can also recite sawakato, the recollection of the Dhamma, supatipanno, the recollection of the Sangha, and do this 108 times. Or we can just recite the recollection of the Buddha 108 times and do that five times, five rounds per day. If we have a lot of effort, then we can do that for 10 rounds a day. 
But for some practitioners, perhaps they just recollect the Buddha, recollect his great compassion, how this was so vast, it was limitless, without bounds. And the Buddha was the awakened one, the one who knows, the joyful one. And through that, then their minds drop into peace, into the state of kanaka, samadhi. There's joy there, maybe just a small amount, and there's a sense of inner fulfillment. And so they don't need to recite Buddha a lot. But then when the mind starts to think again, we bring it back to Buddha again, so that it comes back to this peace. And we just carry on training our minds in this way. And in no long time we will experience peace. It's normal that throughout the day we'll be moving about a lot, going between standing and sitting, walking, lying down. We extend our arm outwards, we bring it back in, extend our legs, move this body about. And all throughout that activity we should be knowing what's going on, have mindfulness there. And we know the body in order to stop our minds from thinking about other things, in order to bring our knowledge, our knowing, our awareness right here. Having awareness centered here, so the mind becomes still, so that the proliferations cease. But if the mind carries on thinking, then we bring Buddha up along with those movements. So whether we're drinking or eating, moving about, we recite Buddha with that. If we're speaking, then we can have mindfulness over what we're saying. And then when we're listening, we can recite Buddha internally, having our meditation there with us. If we turn left, we turn right, we recite Buddha. And so this Buddha and the mind become entwined, become very close together, so they're just one thing. And our samadhi arises and becomes firm. So this is samatha kamatana, these meditation methods that bring about internal peace. And we use them in order for wisdom to come up. So our minds have this foundation of peace for wisdom. But the means to bring about wisdom, anicca, dukkha and anatta, so this inconstancy or change, the inability of things to endure, and not self. But for us, we have only known self. We've only known about me and mine right from the moment that we were born. We study and gain knowledge for the sake of myself. We work for the sake of the self. We have a family. And we even practice for the sake of the self. And we attach to all physical and mental things as being me. And so when someone comes and shouts at us or insults us, then we attach to that and we get angry. Your will arises. Or perhaps at other times we experience something and the mind gets all scattered. Or maybe it becomes very aggregated, aggravated. And 
this is just happening constantly in the mind, that there are these things which obstruct the mind from gaining peace. So our minds are always chaotic. There's always me and you, us and them. And then there's this comparison between me and you constantly. It's the nature of our minds to be like this. So we must give rise to wisdom. We can consider how, having been born already, that there are some people who are very good in their studies and some people not so clever. Some people gain a lot of knowledge and some people just a little bit. That we're not equal in these regards. We're not equal in terms of our occupations or in terms of the money that we get. But we should view this in terms of vipassana, in terms of insight. And that even though we may consider ourselves to be very clever or skilled, that even the Buddha had to get old, even his awakened disciples grew old. We see that the Buddha was really the most skilled, the most clever person in all of the three worlds. In his awakened disciples, during his lifetime, or during this present time, all of them got old. They all had old age. And that's simply the nature of fabrications. So we should see them as being that way. So we can conclude and say that no matter how much knowledge we gain, no matter how much happiness that we may gain in this world, that that doesn't go beyond old age. It's not, we're never more clever than old age. So we should see that this old age, and see it in the light of insight, how this body grows old. We also consider how in our lives we've had so many different experiences, some that give us happiness, some that have given us suffering. And maybe we've experienced many terrible things, things that are really awful, things that bring up a lot of suffering. But no matter how bad they are, they don't go beyond sickness. It's illness which puts a squeeze on the body, which brings up a lot of pain. So the suffering that we experience, it doesn't exceed this pain. And if we don't have samadhi, we don't have wisdom, then we'll attach to those painful feelings as belonging to me. If it's a very severe illness of the kind where the cells degenerate, then it can be quite torturous. And none of us want to experience this. We don't want for ourselves to decay, to get a dangerous sickness that threatens our very life, something that's really difficult to cure. And sometimes the medicine that we take, the methods of curing it, they work to destroy the cells as well. And so many of these cells die. But if we have merit, then we're able to overcome this and live on. 
So therefore, in our lives, no matter how terrible things may get, it still doesn't exceed pain. And the torture of the pains of the body. And then we see that no matter how cold it may be, no matter how hot it may be, no matter how hungry or thirsty we may get, and that doesn't, that never exceeds death. It doesn't go beyond death. So to pull them all together, this is anicca, dukkha, anatta, this inconstancy and unsatisfactoriness and not-self. So we contemplate to see how the body gets old, gets sick and dies. And this old age, sickness and death is something that's normal. If we see it as normal, then we see the Dhamma. But we don't want to accept this truth. And just like the Brahmin, Diga Naka, he went up Vulture's Peak and he met with the Buddha in the Sukha Lakata cave. So this Brahman was the nephew of Venerable Sariputta, the right-hand disciple of the Buddha, the one foremost in wisdom. And he was seeking out a pure place to die, because he believed that he would die soon. So he was finding a pure place, some place that no one had ever died before. And so he was going up to the top of a mountain to die there. But he met the Buddha, and the Buddha said, Brahman, you yourself have died here many, many times. And a peaceful sense of dismay overcame his heart. As Brahman, he had faith in the Buddha already. He was, after all, the nephew of Venerable Sariputta. But he didn't yet consider himself a Buddhist. But his Bharami was complete. So he had this opportunity to meet with the Buddha while he was seeking out this pure place to die. And the Buddha told him, you yourself have died here already. And this dismay came up. So for us, all of us, having been born, then we move towards old age, sickness and death. And that's just what it's like. But if we can understand this death, then our minds can become still and peaceful, they can gather into samadhi. The body and the mind can become very bright and light. And this is what happens to this Brahman. So the Buddha thought that this was the right time to teach him the Dhamma. So he asked the Brahman, what views do you hold? And this Brahman had the view that the things that I like, the things that make me happy, I want those things. But the things that I don't like, I want, don't want to get them. And he thought that through this, he would experience ease and happiness. He thought that this was a very good view to hold. But the Buddha, he got right in there, right at that point. He dug right in there. And he said, Brahman, this view that you have is no good. This is something that you shouldn't attach to. And this Brahman, he was confused. He thought, well, why is that? 
This is a good view. The things that I like, I get them, then I'll be happy. So why did the Buddha say that I shouldn't attach to this, that I shouldn't think in this way? So the Buddha asked him back, well, old age, sickness and death, do you like them? And the Brahmin answered straight up, he said, I don't like these. And really no one in this world likes old age. No one wants to get sick, no one wants to die. Having been born, we seek out many things in this world. We get a family, and none of us want to get old. None of us want for any of the people we love to get old. We want to stay here forever. We don't want to be sick. We want to live this life forever. We don't want to die. Having been born, then we study, and then we work, and we gain many things, or just a few things, but no matter how much or little, none of us want to leave this world. But the Brahman contemplated and saw that the Buddha was correct. There are these things that... And the Buddha said, well, when you don't like these things, but you have to receive them, when you get them, are you going to be happy or are you going to be sad? So the Brahman contemplated further and said, well, I'll suffer. So through listening to the Buddha's Dhamma, he thought, eh, well, this is how it is. This is nature. So these sankharas, these fabrications, are things that we need to understand. We need to get a sense of their reality. And this is important. You need to see how old age, sickness and death are normal things. But usually when we get them, our minds just can't accept them. And like when we're separated from the people we love, when they leave us, then we suffer. Or if we leave them, then they suffer. And even Lady Visaka, she was a Sotapanna, and one of her grandchildren uh, passed away. And this granddaughter was really skilled at organizing merit-making events. And so Lady Visaka suffered upon her death. But then when she listened to the teachings of the Buddha, she regained her mindfulness. And the Buddha said to her, if you have a hundred things that you love, then you'll have a hundred sources of suffering. So she gained mindfulness again, this came up. And that came up quickly because she was a Sotapanna. And the Brahmin, Diganaka, he could accept this truth and he became a Sotapanna as well seeing into the Four Noble Truths, seeing into reality. And afterwards he praised the Buddha, saying that the Buddha is one who shows the way to those who are lost, one who opens that which is closed, one who turns upright that which is overturned. And so the many beings are lost, lost in this round of saṃsāra, and clinging and attached. And the Buddha, he tells them the right way to go.
so that they can walk that way, walk this path of brightness. Or it's like if there's a bowl which is overturned and then it can't uh, receive any rain water, but if you turn it upright, then it can. <coughs> and there's that which is closed, but he opens it, and so you can see what's there. Which means that we can gain an understanding into the Dhamma. So why is it that this Brahman, Diganaka, he could see into the truth so quickly? It's because he had created a lot of Bharami, the spiritual virtues in the past. And he was able to meet with the Buddha. So therefore, the objects which give rise to insight, these are anicca, dukkha, anatta, wisdom can arise from these. <clears throat> and it can arise because there is peace within our minds. So we need to train ourselves to set our hearts on this. We have faith already. We have effort already. But we need to use that effort in a way that looks after our hearts. If we're doing a lot of walking meditation, sitting meditation, but our minds are thinking without stop, then that's not going to give us much benefit. So we need to put in effort in a way that is effective. It's like there's a large pond, and all throughout the day and night we're trying to catch the fish in that pond, but we never catch a single fish. We're putting in our effort, but it doesn't give us results. And so it's like we're meditating, but we're not gaining peace of mind. So we do need to put an effort in the right way. We need to endure as well. We need to struggle along with this, even though it's difficult. We still carry on with our efforts, setting our hearts on this. And this is even more so for those who have ordained. Upon our ordination ceremony, uh, we chant Nibbana Satchikaranataya, that we ordain for the sake of realizing Nibbana. That when we build our Bharami, we do that for the sake of freedom for suffering. So really put in your efforts, go to the morning chanting, the evening chanting, fulfill your duties, help to clean up the monastery, be one who is selfless. And through this then we become ones who are disciplined, that we're strict in this order, in this discipline. And this is something that Venerable Ajahn Chah taught, to have the sense of order and to be strict in that, to have veneer, to be strict in that, and to have the standards, the etiquette of the monastery. And for example, if one's preceptor is sitting down and we are approaching him, then we shouldn't be wearing our sandals. We should take them off about eight meters away from him. So when I, one time, I was walking up to Ajahn Chah, and I was wearing my sandals, and I thought to myself that just in the next step that I would remove them. But Ajahn Chah, he pointed at my feet, telling me, indicating that I should take them off now. And he was teaching me to have a sense of respect that 
it's not appropriate to uh, come up to him wearing sandals like that, to get close to him. That's not okay. So he taught us to be strict in this, strict in our practice. We have this composure, we have caution, composure and caution in our practice of keeping sila. And this then becomes a cause for samadhi to arise. With the standing, walking, sitting, lying down, we're mindful and have firm samadhi and trying to develop this so that wisdom arises. But if we have only a little time in our lives to practice, then we try to keep a heart imbued with kindness and compassion, allowing these qualities to look after our minds. Even though we may get angry with others, we try to forgive them. Because it's just normal in this present day that there are so many people who are greatly deluded. There's a lot of them. There's a great sense of ego, of self. A lot of people who are attaching to many things. So we should have kindness for them. You should be able to forgive one another. Because otherwise it can be dangerous. In this present day, if someone just gives rise to a bit of anger in their mind, then it's possible that they start harming others. So we need to forbear. We need to be careful as well. May all of you set your hearts on this.